And we're going to talk uh, today about the fact that uh, we make it better. So I'm encouraging you, it can get better. Christ makes it better, God makes it better, and we should make it better. So you have hope. Don't allow depression to set in. Just don't. Not because we're so amazing. Or Our faith and trust is not ever to be put in people anyhow. So if your faith and trust has been in the government or politicians, you could get depressed right now. Just don't go there. Your faith and trust should be in him. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus is the one we put our trust in. All right, well, I'm going to get to the message in just a bit, uh, but I'd like to pray here just for a second. So, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's real and powerful, that it changes lives, that it causes people to be made new. I thank you there is no uh, worry, there's no fear that can take us. And, Lord, as we go into today's word, I thank you. You fill us to overflowing in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so right before I start, why don't you turn to a few different people and tell them God's got you, okay? Tell them God's got you. And if God's got you, you do not have to worry. He's got you in his big, strong arms. He's got you. Woo! All right. So today we're actually looking at one of our culture code again, and it's kind of surprising me how God is just using it and fitting it in as we go through life here. But we are on number seven. We make it better. We continually improve what we have and what we do. Now here at the church, our mission is helping people find and follow Jesus. So we focus on that and we want to see more people come to Christ. And we want to see them follow, which includes all of us. We're all in the process of following him and growing. But today specifically, we want to look at this fact that we make it better. Now what does God's word have to say about this? Well, first of all, of course, I've already hinted to it a little bit, but the fact that God makes it better. In Psalm 84, verse 10, we read this. It says, A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. In other words, being in his presence is a thousand times better than anywhere else. In other words, you pick your favorite day of doing something that didn't involve God and being in his presence is going to be a thousand times better. Because in his presence, there's life. In his presence, there's joy. In his presence, there's healing. In his presence, there's newness. In his presence, everything becomes better. Ephesians 3, verse 20. It says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. You see, God so wants to bless us, so wants to make our lives better, that he said, I want to do more than you can even ask or imagine. That's a God who wants things better for you. You know, in the past, there was kind of an idea that uh, went through Christianity that, you know, if you're going to serve God, it's going to be really horrible, you're going to be poor, But don't worry about it, heaven's coming. Now heaven is coming and it's going to be amazing. 
But God also said that he wants to make your life better here. Okay, maybe not better in the way the world only thinks of better, but better in every area, inside, outside. And he wants to bless you more than you can even ask or think. He also said that if you give up things for him, he will bless you back in this life a hundredfold. That's what he told his disciples, his followers. So you may have to give up things. You may have to sacrifice. But he said, I'm going to pour it back on you. So know this. God wants to make your life better. You don't come and accept Christ so your life can be horribler. He comes to make it better. All right. Hebrews 8 and verse 6. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a better covenant based on better promises. You see, God is a God who wants to make it better for you and I. You see, he brought in the old covenant to his people. He always had in mind that he would do something better, but he brought that in and they sacrificed sheep and goats and turtle doves and they had to follow these specific guidelines and do things a certain way to cover sin. But you know what? He realized people really can't do this. Some of the religious people made it look like they were doing it on the outside, but inside they weren't. And he said, I'm going to give them a better covenant. Not because God lacks, because he wanted to make it better for us. I'm going to give them a covenant that is going to be my son dying on a cross for them and forgiving them for all they have to do is receive it. And then I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in them so they'll know right from wrong and it will be easy. Okay, maybe not always easy, but they will know. And God said, I'm going to give them something better. Better covenant, better promises. You see, God makes it better. But not only God makes it better, we read in our Bibles in the Old Testament about God's people making it better. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1 and 3, it says, When King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I'm living in a beautiful cedar palace but the ark of God is out there in a tent. And Nathan replied to the king, Go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. Now we know that later that night, God spoke to Nathan the prophet and said, um, You need to go back and talk to David, because actually I'm not going to let David build the temple. And he actually says, You know, I'm God, I don't actually need a tent or a house or temple. But he said, okay, I'm going to let a temple be built, but not David. It's going to be his son. And so Nathan comes back and tells David this, but also God promised David, I'm going to give your son build it, and also, just so you know, David, I'm going to let your line continue uh, forever. And we know that Jesus comes through the line of David, and of course, he is king of kings forever. So he tells David this, and David has a heart to make it better. Because you see, here God is saying to David, you can't do it. I'm going to have somebody else do it. Now David could have got all upset about that, couldn't he? What? 
I want to be the guy. It was my idea. How come I can't be the guy? You know, they're going to forever call it Solomon's temple, not David's. But David knew it wasn't about him. And he had an attitude that says, I'm going to make it better. So you know what he did? He said, okay, God, you said I couldn't build it, but you didn't say I couldn't provide everything needed for it. And so he spends years collecting gold, silver. And I'm going to just read it to you in 1 Chronicles 29, 1-2. to 1 Chronicles 29, 1-2. Then King David turned to the entire assembly and said, My son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous, for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals, it's for the Lord God himself. Using every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God. Now there is enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood, as well as great quantities of oinks, other precious stones, costly jewels, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. David provides everything he possibly could with all his might to make it better. What an attitude. He could have in his mind just, fine. You want him to do it? Then I'm not doing nothing. I'm just going to sit here and pout because you didn't choose me. But no, no, his attitude is, okay, no, no problem. You don't want me to build it because there was blood on his hands, God said? Okay, I won't. But I'm going to find everything needed for it. But he didn't stop there. If you read in the previous chapter, if you're somebody who likes to go and check these out, read in the previous chapter, not only did he provide for it, but it said that he went to God and God gave him the plans of how to build every part of it. So now he's giving God glory. God gives him the plans. He writes down the plans of how to build the Ark of the Covenant, the cherubims, all those things for this new temple. This is how you're going to build it. This is what you're going to put in it. He writes them all down and he hands them all to his son. What a heart to make it better. Okay, God, you said I couldn't build it. You didn't say I couldn't ask you for all the plans and all the directions and I'm going to spend my life getting it ready for somebody else to get the credit. Now that's an attitude that says I'm going to make it better no matter what. The heart of David to make it better. We know that he himself, it says, gave over $7 billion worth of gold and silver for that temple. Pretty much, it sounds like he gave his life savings that he had worked up to, and it was all for that. What a heart. What a heart to make it better. Of course, David wasn't the only one in the Old Testament who wanted to make it better. Second Chronicles 24 and verse 12 to 13. This is the story of King Josiah. He's a young king, but he rules for a few years. And Josiah says to the Levites and priests, we need to repair this temple. Because you see, there was a wicked lady who had caused it to be broken down and they took things out of it and used it for false gods. So it was in really bad repair. And he goes to the Levites and priests and says, you need to collect the temple tax that Moses set up so that, you know, that this temple can be repaired. And he tells the priests, so go ahead Collect it from the people and do it quickly. That's what the king tells them. And in the next verse, it says, 
But the priests didn't do it quickly. As a matter of fact, they didn't do anything. And Josiah comes to them and says, how come you haven't collected anything and fixed the temple? It doesn't actually tell us what their excuse was. But he said to them, well, here's what I want you to do now instead then. Josiah said, I want you to make a big chest, drill a hole in the top, set it at the doorway. And when people come, tell them they can give there for the repairing of the temple. And so they did that. And it said the people were excited about that. And they gave and they filled the big chest up. They emptied it out. They filled it up. They emptied it out. They filled it up. They emptied it out. And then it said that they gave the money to the workers. But that's where we can read. Okay, let's read what it says. 2 Chronicles 24, 12. The king and Jehodiah gave the money to the construction supervisors who hired masons and carpenters to restore the temple of the Lord. They also hired metal workers who made articles of iron and bronze for the Lord's temple. The men in charge of the renovation worked hard and made steady progress. They restored the temple of God according to its original design and strengthened it or made it better. You see, God's people make things better, not worse. I don't know, is there any people here, you're a fixer, you like to fix things. Or you work at a job where you fix things. Well, if you're a true fixer, when you fix something, you don't just patch it together, you make it better. Because you don't want it to break down the exact same way. A true fixer says, okay, this has been breaking here a couple of times, we're going to re- you know, we're going to strengthen this. We're going to put more metal. We're going to weld it in. Or we're going to bolt it. Whatever it takes, true fixers make it better. And there's something that feels awesome when you do that. It's like, whoo, this ain't breaking again. Is there any people here who have that, your fixer, and you like to do that? It's important. And it's an awesome thing to make it better. There were some other Men in the Bible as well that we read about in Daniel chapter 1, 19 to 20. Daniel chapter 1, 19 to 20. It says, Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Now here he's talking about Daniel. He's talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you're wondering who the other three were, that was just their original names. And then the king gave them new names. So he's talking about these four young men, and he says they were ten times better than anyone else in wisdom, in knowledge. In other words, they served and they made it better. But you see, the interesting thing is they were all four of them slaves. They'd been stolen from their homeland. This king that they were serving had sent armies who destroyed their homes, probably killed people they knew, maybe even people in their own family, took them slaves, and has them stand before him and says, okay, now let's see what you can do. And they choose to make it ten times better. Now that's a good attitude. Well, I'd make things better at my job if we didn't have this boss, or some of those guys I work with are terrible, so I'm not going to. Really? 
My Bible says God's people make it better. My Bible says God's people should be 10 times better. Ooh, I like that. If you choose to live life with that kind of attitude, I can tell you this, your life's going to be better. Because making things better and people better and situations better feels awesome. And it's the way to live as a Christian. You see, God actually told his people who had been taken captive, you pray for the place where you are. And by praying for that place and praying for its peace, that same peace comes on you. If you're in a job that you don't really like right now, you start praying for it. You start praying for it to be blessed. You start praying for it to have good employees. You start praying for bosses. You start praying for it, and you make it better. And guess what? You get to enjoy in what's better. So we make it better. God's people made it better. Of course, we know that Christ himself came to make people's lives better, and of course, their eternity better. In Luke chapter 4, 17 to 21, we read about Christ in the temple, and he's about to read from an Old Testament scripture. And it says in verse 17, He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You see, Christ came to make it better. He came to set captives free, to heal broken hearts, to cause blind people to have their sight, to preach good news to the poor. What's good news to the poor? My God's going to meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. There's going to be more than enough. You see, Jesus came to make it better. Let me read you another one. Acts 10 verse 38, it's kind of a summary of what Jesus did in one verse. And it says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus went about doing good, making people's lives better. And how about John 10, verse 10? Maybe one that some of you have memorized. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Christ has come to give you life and life more abundantly. He's come to make you better. You know, interesting as I talk about this, God wants to make our lives better. He wants to make us people who make it better but here's the thing, God's goodness and blessings come when we believe. When we believe that that's who he is and that's what he wants. Because you see, if we don't believe it, we don't receive it. If you're believing for it to get worse, for you it's going to get worse. <gasps> don't say that. 
I've read it. He said the things you believe and speak, that's what you receive. If you believe, oh, it's going to be terrible next week, you're going to have a terrible week. If you go to work in the morning and all you can do is run through your mind how horrible it's going to be working with that guy, you're going to have a miserable day with that guy. But you can choose to believe for it to be better. You see, we need to believe that God has something amazing for, you, for us. We need to believe and then we speak different and we act different. You need to believe. You see, in God's kingdom, we should never have the statement, oh, it's good enough. It's good enough the way it is. Those brakes on the truck are kind of wore down. Yeah, they're good enough. Oh, the seats in there are ripped and torn, and you know, the employee might want us to fix them. That's good enough. I don't know who's got trucks. I'm not picking on you. This is just stuff that comes to my mind while I'm talking. Or, well, that rug is stained and we should probably get new flooring. That's good enough. (laughs) There's yellow stains at the bottom of the toilets and we should probably replace those tiles because it doesn't come out anymore. That's good enough. (laughs) We should not use the term, it's good enough in God's house. God says he wants to make it better. And God wants us to make it better. You should not say your marriage is good enough the way it is. You should want to make it better. You should want your relationship to be even better. When you get it good enough, that's good enough, it's actually a little bit of a lazy attitude. That's good enough. It's like I don't want to do anything more or different. Don't say that. Choose to make your relationship better. Listen, if you sense in your spirit you're saying it's good enough in situations in your life, stop. And say, God, how can I make it better? Because he wants us to be people who make it better. All right? Don't get satisfied with good enough. Now, Christ came to make it better, and of course, he also came to make our eternity better. In John Chapter 14, 2 and 3, we read this. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. You see, Christ came to make it better here, but he also came to make eternity amazing for us. He came and died in our place. And then he said, I'm going now to prepare something awesome for you. And you're going to be with me. And heaven is going to be amazing. Heaven is going to be something that blows our mind. Streets of gold. And it talks about uh, gates of pearl. And just things we can't even imagine. There's an amazing eternity waiting. But hey, he also wants to make it better right here and right now. Did you know that David said, I would have fainted. I would have given up. If I hadn't believed to see the goodness of God right here on this earth, in the land of the living, he says. You can believe to see God's goodness now. You can believe to see God's goodness tomorrow. Because his goodness does not hinge on politicians or governments. His goodness hinges on who he is and he's good. Woo, I felt that. 
Maybe I should say that again. His goodness hinges on who he is. And he's good. And if you've put your trust in him, it's going to get better. Oh, yes. He's good. I think of believing for it to be better. It's funny, it just dropped in my mind. I've got a wife who loves to make things better. Always. You know, we live in a pretty old trailer and we have lived there for a number of years. And if you visit us and go inside, you see, my wife is responsible for everything inside. It's amazing. When you come on the outside, it looks pretty old and run down because, uh, well, I, I don't have money and time to fix it. That's my thing, right? But inside, she makes it better all the time. And uh, I love her for it. Well, I was talking about chairs, my office chair in my office. We moved offices when we opened the other side. My wife painted all the walls. She said, no, i got to paint before you move in. She said, okay, I'm going to find a desk for you. She found a desk on Kijiji for $50. And then she went all the way to Edmonton to get it for me because I was busy at work. She set the whole office up beautiful. And here for my birthday, she said, well, your office chair, the, it's ripped and it sits crooked like this. I'm getting you a new chair. So she went to Walmart and she got me a gaming chair. It has red pinstripes on it. Ooh, just like amazing. I'm going to be able to do policies like... What a, sermons, whatever it is I do. But you know, it just popped in my mind. And dear, I really thank you for that. She knows how to make it better. I could have just complained about my chair, right? What good would that do? Make it better. So God wants us to be people who think and make it better. Well, as Christ followers, we need to choose to always make it better. In Philippians chapter 2, 14 and 15, we read this. It says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. And also Matthew 5, 14 and 16. It says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. You see, you and I are called to shine. We are called to make you better. When you and I walk into a room that's feeling heavy, the room should suddenly feel light. When you and I walk into a room that's feeling angry, the room's atmosphere should change because we make it better where we go. You see, we're called to shine and the light is opposite of darkness. So you can put in darkness whatever things are not good, we should be the opposite. If you walk into a room where there's depression, people should start laughing before you leave. Because you're light. You have the love of Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit in you. It should change the room you go into. You see, the things we say and do are how we give light. Okay? You're wondering, well, how do I give light? The things you say and do, the smile on your face, 
Smiling can make a difference in an atmosphere. The things you say, the things you do. Did you know that if you continually say things that are discouraging and uh, negative, you actually bring those things and you bring darkness rather than light? Because what you say really shows what you believe. For example, if you say, you know, you get a little pain here or a little pain here, and the first thing that you say and think is, oh, I must be sick. I need to go to the doctor. And then you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, you're fine. I need to see a specialist because I'm sick. And you go to another specialist. I need to see another specialist. Listen, if you continually speak that you're sick, that there's something wrong, there's going to be something wrong eventually. You draw it in, you open the door for it. You see, my Bible says that God's the God that heals us. It says no plague should come near our dwelling, but we can open the door for it if we're not aware. And we open the door for sickness by what we say and how we act. Okay? So, don't open the door for it. Now, maybe you're in a situation where the door was open for it. Well, now you're, you open the door again and you kick it out. You do that with what you say and what you believe. Sickness, you have no right to be in my house. Sickness, you have no right to be in my body. This pain I'm feeling, whatever it is, it is leaving in Jesus' name. But if instead you're like, oh my goodness, my nose is runny. Oh, I must be terribly ill. I can't believe it. I need to go get a whole bunch of tests and oh no. Or you could be like me and be like, okay, when I look down, I have really big sinuses and gravity helps clean them out. I can't help it. <laughs> but I am not sick. I'm healthy. Why am I healthy? Because he's the God that brings me health. My hand is in his. My trust is in him. Oh, that is the right place to put your trust. You know, I love doctors, and we have a doctor who attends here from time to time when he's not too busy or quarantined or whatever happens. But I'll tell you, the doctor of doctors is Jesus. And my trust goes in him every time. You know, when my wife and I were expecting with Evangeline, we got the test that she's, uh, my wife's pregnant. A few months in, we go to the doctor and they do some other tests and they find this. I don't know what they found. I can't remember how you say it, but the doctor got really scared. We found this in the blood test. He said, if this is in the blood test, there's a possibility that the blood from the husband and your blood will kill this baby in the womb. You've got to go to Edmonton immediately. You've got to go to Edmonton immediately and see a specialist. And we walked out of the doctor's office. My wife and I looked at each other and I said, yeah, the devil's a liar. God gave you this miracle there is no sickness. There is nothing going to happen to this baby. But we'll honor the doctor and go see a specialist anyway, but it's going to be fine. So we went down to Edmonton to see a specialist. We went into the specialist's office. She met us around a table, and she was very serious. She said, you see, the thing is, this will kill the baby. Now, 
she looked at us, did you do a blood test talking about me? Because if your blood doesn't have the same thing in it, that baby will die. And we were sitting across the table and I said, I know you don't need to worry, this baby's going to be fine. I said, they've done a blood test, but we don't have any results yet. But don't worry, results are going to be perfectly fine. And she's kind of looking at us like, how come they're not scared and worried? And, of course, we came back home and they got the results and everything is perfectly fine. But what if, instead, we had decided, oh, God, you must hate us. The baby's going to die. Can I tell you something? Life is better when you speak and believe for better. If you're used to speaking the worst, stop. If you're drawn to the negative or the problem, stop. Stop. Here's a couple right here that understand faith, that understand speaking blessing over a baby when it's still in the womb. And that's a blessed baby. Very blessed, very healthy. Because we don't go by what we see, we go by faith and what God says. You continually speak life and blessing over that baby every day. I know you guys do. As well, begin to pray, even now, about that baby's future. Did you know, even while the baby's in the womb, you can pray about who they're going to marry? Did you know you can pray favor and blessing over a child that's in the womb? You can ask God, what is it that you have for them? He can start to show you things, what their gifts will be. And then as you're parenting, you know how to direct them because God's already spoke. So be excited. Good things. When fear or the enemy tries to bring things, open the door, kick it out. Woohoo! Oh man, this is good preaching, but I got to stop sometime. So let me get ready to wrap this up. Last verse, Matthew 10, 7 and 8. Jesus sends out his followers and he tells them this. Go and announce to the people that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons, give as freely as you have received. You see, we build up, we restore, we forgive, we speak life, we bless, we heal. We lead others to a new life in Christ. We make it better. So let me give you a challenge before I pray for you. I want you to think about it for a minute. When is the last time you made something better for somebody else? When is the last time you made things around you better. And I want you this week to make opportunity. I didn't say look for it. I said make opportunity to make it better for somebody else. Okay? Whether it's at work, whether it's in your family, make opportunity. You create an opportunity to make it better. Don't wait for one. Is that clear? You're good with that. So you're going to find a way to make something better because that's what God's people do. All right? And if you find yourself feeling a little bit frustrated and wanting to make something worse, don't do it. Just refuse. Say no. 